Welcome everybody, welcome over in the venue. And all of you that are watching online, maybe you're listening on the radio, we're glad to have you with us. Hey Brandon, you did a great, great job over there. Pastor Brandon is our pastor over there, he leads the worship and we also baptized over there this morning, a young man who's heading off to the military at the end of this week and so man, you just, you just were, were, were great. Scott Elliott, uh, who works at our, our school and who's always serving around here, one of the kids who grew up here. He was over there playing the ukulele. It was unbelievable. You nailed the ukulele over there, man. And uh, so anyway, I'm glad you're all, all with us. And uh, we're in a, a series here called The Bible, The Whole Bible, Nothing But The Bible. And wow, has it just been a, a, a lot of uh, fun to get into the scriptures. I'm hearing lots of great, great things from you via email and text and seeing you at different places, at the Starbucks or the mall or wherever. It's just fun to know that you're in the Word of God. And what I wanna do is I wanna get right into our Bible quiz, okay? So, so you kinda gotta get your minds working here a little bit, okay? Every, every week of this, we've had a Bible quiz, and here's the first question. Don't say it out loud, because there's some people here still working these things out. Just, just kinda think it through in your mind, but we ought to be nailing this. I've done it every week now for, I don't know, five or six weeks. What are the first five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many books are in the Old Testament? That's nah, the New Testament, it's 39 books are in the Old Testament, 39 books. And, and what's the theme of the Old Testament? Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. Now here's the second question. Who wrote those first five books of the Old Testament? Moses. Moses was the writer of those first five books. Here's question number three. Which book in the Old Testament describes the death of Moses? No, no, yell it out. This one is getting tougher. Which book, and maybe I'll even throw out which chapter tells us about the death of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 34, you can read about the death of Moses. Question number four, who buried the body of Moses? Ooh, somebody said Aaron, no. God, God was the person who buried the body of Moses. Question number five, what are the first five books of the New Testament? Now don't, don't say it out loud, I want everybody kind of, kind of having to think it through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is where we get to see the, the birth of, of, of the, the church. How many books are in the New Testament? 27, you got it, 27 books in the New Testament. What's the theme of the New Testament? Jesus has come. So the Old Testament, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. New Testament, Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. What's the theme of the whole Bible? Jesus is. I mean, literally, the, the theme of the scriptures all about Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, question number six. Which of the seven churches of Revelation does God criticize for being lukewarm? Ooh. Ooh. It's a church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea. All right, we're gonna go live over in the venue, so over there you guys can try to win a prize and, and we're gonna have our little moment here where we get to win a prize, okay? And uh, last night, got ugly, right down here, right, right here. <laughs> we, 
We had a Bible brawl going on, and we had to get security and all of that, and it was unbelievable. Um, and so what I'm doing is I'm gonna cut you, the, 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 the sanctuary in half. So it's just you on this side over here. You get to answer this first question. And um, I've got this great uh, Ten Commandment little uh, bookmark with this little fob on here. It's super, super cool. Uh, every Wednesday, my, my, my daughter's dating a young fella by the name of Connor. Great, great young fella. And every Wednesday, Connor and I meet at Barnes and Noble for about 15, 20 minutes. And right now, we're memorizing the Ten Commandments. Him and I, we're just kind of going through it. And I'm, I'm, you know, he's memorizing these Ten Commandments. And we really had to spend a lot of time on number six, thou shalt not murder. <laughs> because I told him, you know, I don't have any problem breaking number six. If something goes kind of haywire in this thing. Just want you to know, brother. Uh, we're, we're, we're good, just know, know that. I know God doesn't want us to do that. But, uh, so, so it's a really cool uh, bookmark, and uh, it's just the first person. You're gonna have to turn in your Bible, look it up, and so get your fingers limber, put a little, I don't know, Bengay on them, and get ready. First person who stands up, and you find the verse, and you say the verse out loud, okay? The first person to stand up and quote Psalms 119, 97, Psalms 119, 97. First person who stands up, moving your Bible. Oh, right here, wow! That might break a record if you got it right. What is it? Psalms 119, 97. Psalms 119, 97. Psalms 119, 97. Psalms 119, You got one thing to do, you play the guitar and I need you to be my runner. <laughs> we got it easy here today, by the way, right there in the front row. Right there. Yeah, get it over there. By the way, that passage, which you got to in a hurry, wow, that, that, that ought to maybe be one of the theme verses for those of us that name the name of Christ, right? Oh, how I love your, 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 your teachings. And I just kind of think about them all day long. It's just this natural, you know, you wake up in the morning and you get your coffee or your tea or whatever, you're eating your bagel and you just kind of think about the word, you get into the word. Throughout the day in your job or your ironing clothes or whatever it is you're doing, you just, there are these moments where you just naturally think about the scriptures, maybe even get a, a chance to read them. You know, at nighttime, you know, you, you just, maybe before you go to bed or something, you just naturally have a great time to think about the word of God. It ought to just, that, that verse right there could be one of the great theme verses for those of us that name the, the name of Christ. Okay, now, on this side of the room, here's your question, and when I, this is a new one that I've been, I brought out this, this weekend, and it's called Essential Christian Doctrine, and they've just taken doctrine, the word doctrine, and they've kind of made an acrostic of it, and it's really, really great. You, you, this, this, this is something you'll, you'll really dig. So get your fingers ready, this side to this side. First person who stands up and reads James 1.22. James 1.22, you gotta have it already with your Bible open. Right there, right there, hold on. See, I have to do that, because last night, um, the brawl happened. It was crazy. It was crazy what happened right there. I'll never forget it. That whole section right there is going to freak me out from now on, on Saturday nights. Okay, what is it? Uh, but he doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 
Nailed it. Put it up on the jumbotrons right there. There you go. By the way, that, that ought to be another great passage that could be a theme passage for those of us that name the name of Christ. Don't just be somebody who reads this. And I'm gonna talk more about this in a moment. But you have to go to the place where you're actually living it out. Because if all you do is just read it, and you think, wow, I've really accomplished something. No, you're just deceiving yourself. You're just, there's just deception going on in your own life, and your own walk with the Lord. You have to be somebody who actually lives it out, and we're gonna talk more about that in just a moment. Uh, here's how I've been ending all of the quizzes. How many days last week did you read your Bible? And this is just a moment for you to do a little evaluating of your life this past week. You see, sometimes I think we can get going and doing and stuff, and we never really stop and go, you know, I got so busy, I let other things crowd out my time in the Word. Now, I know some of you, maybe seven days, you got up in the morning, read the Word, and maybe read it at night, and praise the Lord for, for that. Maybe it was five times, maybe it was three. But maybe there are some of you are going, you know what, I, I just never set aside the time to do that. How about question number 10? Did you try to memorize a verse in the Bible this week? And one of the cool things is, is that via the internet and stuff, I'm hearing about a bunch of you that are trying to memorize a verse. You're telling me, pray for me, I'm memorizing this verse. Or, hey, my family and I, some of you, have, I've heard stories about a family memorizing a verse together or whatever. And I'm gonna just tell you, <laughs> that just brings unbelievable joy to my heart, because I know it brings joy to the Lord's heart. That you would take his word that seriously, that you would try to memorize some of it. And the last question is, do you have your Bibles with you right now? Do you have your swords? Okay, put them up in the air, let me see them. Put them up in the air, come on, come on, come on, let me see the swords. Man, a lot of swords, okay, put them down. Here's the deal, here's the deal. As I've told you every week, you know, I put most of the verses up on the jumbotrons because I want everybody to see the word. And there's so many different translations and things that I wanna make sure we're all reading it together. But I also know the culture that we live in today, a lot of you don't have Bibles, and so you come here, and we're so thankful you're here. And you don't have a Bible, and so we want you to see the Word of God for yourself. But if you don't own a Bible, or you're over in the venue and you don't have a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room, uh, the altar room over there in the venue too. Or if you're watching online or listening on the radio, you just call the church on Monday, and it would just be an honor to give you a, a Bible. We, a lot of the money you put into those offering baskets, we, we purchase lots and lots and lots of Bibles, and we love to give out the, 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 the Word of God. Now, I want to begin by quickly sharing with you three reasons why you need your Bible. Okay, This isn't a comprehensive list of all the reasons why, but it's a pretty good one. Okay, And the first one is this, you need the Bible to help you know God better. Okay, or, or to help you know him in a deeper way. You see, there's lots of things we can know about God by looking at nature. We can see his power in nature. We can see his creativity in nature. We, we, we can see his organization in nature. Psalms 39 says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They, they speak without a sound or word. Their voice 
is never heard. You see, you can look at the stars and the moon and the sun, and you can look at a porcupine, or you can just look at your hand or your eyeballs in the mirror, and you, you go, wow. They're just, they're just this unbelievably powerful, awesome, creative God. There's just, you just can't miss it. In the New Testament, Paul said this in Romans chapter one. He said, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse or that people are without excuse. In other words, you can just look around at the stars and the heavens and Gerber daisies and whales and all of the things, look at your own body and how it's made and you just... God has just made himself known. No one's ever gonna be able to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know there was a God. No, no, no. Uh, I made myself known through all that I have, uh, I have created. God speaks through nature, through all of the things that he made, but nature or creation doesn't tell us about the love of God or the mercy of God or the compassion of God or the righteousness of God or the peace of God or the holiness of God or the wrath of God. Only the Bible tells you about these things. Yes, nature will tell you something. Scripture's crystal clear on that, but you need the Bible to get to know God in a way deeper way. Number two, you need the Bible to know God's truths. Looking at a porcupine isn't gonna tell you about God's truth. Looking at a killer whale doesn't tell you about God's truth. Looking at the sun doesn't tell you about God's truth. You need the Bible to know his truth. Second Samuel chapter seven says, for you are God, O sovereign Lord, your words are truth, you see? Jesus said this in John 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. We need the Bible to know God's truth. It's true for all people, it's true for all cult cultures, and it's true for all times. And you ought to write that down. The Bible is true for all people, it's true for all cultures, and it's true for all time. And Jesus said this in John chapter eight, he said, when you know the truth, it'll set you free. Now that's a phrase that's used a lot and thrown out a lot in movies and stuff, and everybody likes that verse, but what is he saying there? If you know the truth, it'll set you free. The truth that two plus two is four? The truth that four plus four is eight, that is truth with a little t, but it's not truth with a capital T. What truth is he talking about? What truth sets you free? It's the truth that you were created in the very image of God. That you're not a happenstance of nature, you're not a coincidence of nature, two molecules didn't bump into each other a billion years ago. No, the truth that you were created by God inside your mother's womb and that you were created in his image. The truth that when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought sin into the world and it just messed up everything. The truth that because of Adam and Eve's sin, all of us, are born into sin. The truth that our sin has separated us from, from God. The truth that God so loved you, though you're full of 
sin that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. The truth that Jesus was put into a tomb and three days later he walked out of that grave proving that he was who he said he was, God's son. The truth that if you would put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he would come into your life and forgive you of all of your sin. The truth that when your sins have been forgiven by Jesus, it restores the relationship between you and the very one who created you. The truth that when you take your last breath here on planet Earth, because your sins have been forgiven, you will spend your eternity with the Father in heaven. When you understand that truth, wow, that will set you free. All of a sudden, your life is just, will just be so different. When you understand the, the, not, not just those truths, but the, the other truths that are, are found in, in the scriptures. And number three, or the third reason why you need your Bible, is you need the Bible to know how God wants you to live. Our theme verse for this series could have been 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says that all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. He was the author of it. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the word of God, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, without this, we don't know how we're supposed to live. You see, we, we, we need this. Uh, Psalms 119 says, I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. In other words, look, I don't know what I'm doing down here. I'm a stranger here. Please, I need to know what your commands are. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter one. He said, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. You see, you are a citizen of heaven. This world is not your home, which means you're to live differently. You're to live as a citizen of heaven, and the only way that you can know how a citizen of heaven lives is right here. This is how we know how a citizen of heaven is to live. Without this, we, we don't know. Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter four, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Well, how do you know what that life is that's worthy of your calling? How, how do you know? Do you get to make it up? Do I make it up? Do the elders of the church make it up? No, right here. This tells us what a worthy life looks like. And so we need the, the, the Bible to help us understand how God wants us to live. And I, I wanna say these three, the, these three things out loud together, okay? Here we go, number one, I need the Bible to help me know God better. Number two, I need the Bible to know God's truth. And number three, I need the Bible to know how God wants me to live. So with this said, here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you five important thoughts on how you can get the most out of your Bible. And I don't know if that's the right uh, verbiage or not, but that's the way I'm gonna say it, okay? How can you get the most out of the Bible? And the first thing is this, you get the most out of your Bible when you use it to gain knowledge. 
When you use it to gain knowledge, this is simply learning the content of the Bible. You're simply learning the stories of the Bible. You're learning about creation. You're learning about sin. You're learning about Noah and the flood. You're learning about Moses bringing the Ten Commandments off of the you know, mountain. You're, you're learning about the birth of Jesus and the Gospels. You're learning about his death, his resurrection, you're, you're learning about all of these stories. You're, you're learning about the people in the Bible, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. You're learning about Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus, John the Baptist. You're learning about Paul. You're learning uh, some of the, the characters in the Bible. You're, you're learning the truths in the Bible, just simply the facts and the events of the Bible. And I want you to know that this is the shallowest level it's the beginner level. It's where you simply learn content, what the Bible is all about. It's the most basic level. And everybody starts there. Don't, don't be embarrassed because you're, you're at that beginner level. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody begins at this shallowest of level, but it's a super important level. Hosea said this, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And Christian, let me tell you something. A lot of reasons why Christians go off to deep end and do dumb things and say dumb things and their, their life ends up a mess, their marriage ends up a mess, or their business ends up a mess is just simply because they just don't have even the shallowest uh, level. They don't even know the basic content of the Word of God. And so you can be deceived and tricked easily or whatever all those words might be. Here's the deal, there are more Bibles than ever before. They're everywhere. Christian bookstores, secular bookstores, hotels, motels, hospitals are everywhere. The Bible outsells every other book by far. I read somewhere just this past week that over 500 million Bibles were printed this year in over 1,800 languages. There's never been more Bibles available for people to read, yet more and more people, including believers, have no clue what it says. They don't even have the basic um, knowledge of it. They don't know the basic content of what's in uh, the, the, the Bible. I recently read where 62% of Americans thought the phrase, quote, God helps those who help themselves, unquote, was in the Bible. And it's not. Ben Franklin said that. The fact is, God teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches that God helps those that put their trust in him. God digs it when you just come before him and say, I am weak, I have nothing to offer you, God. I am putting my life in your hands. I'm making you the CEO of my life. Amen. I'm surrendering my life to you. And God comes along and does beautiful things through your life. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you believe the ten, in the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you, you know, 98% of you would raise your hands, even over in the venue and all of that. But if I were to say to you, hey, I want you to lean over to the person next to you and say all 10 of them, could you do it? Do you even have that basic of knowledge that you would know the 10 commandments? You should know them. In fact, some of you right now are saying, oh, Pastor Rick, please don't have me do that. <laughs> Hosea said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. God doesn't want 
your life to be destroyed or your marriage to be destroyed or your business to be destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked a question and he answers it in a really great way. It says this in verse 18. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. <laughs> well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, Jesus, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. And Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. Your mistake is you just don't know the basic content of the scriptures. You, you, you just don't have any basic knowledge, if you will, of what the scriptures teach. So how do you gain knowledge? Well, you gain knowledge simply by reading the Bible. There's no other way around it. There's no shortcut. You just, you just enjoy reading through the scriptures. That's it. The goal of reading the Bible is just to know the, the word more. Now, as great as Bible knowledge is, and everybody starts there, it's not enough. Like I said, it's the shallowest level, which brings us to number two. Number two, you get the most out of your Bible when you use it to gain perspective. Okay, this is when you learn why God said what he said. Why did God do what he did? One of my favorite passages, I share it in here a lot, is Proverbs 14, which says there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that just seems right. It, it, it just seems logical. But in reality, in the end, it's not very good. In fact, it leads to, to death. Here's the deal. Perspective is seeing life from God's point of view. Perspective knows the reason why God does what he does. You see that? So knowledge is knowing what God said or did in the Bible. Perspective is knowing why God said it or why God did it. You see, God has a way bigger perspective on your life than you do, right? And here's the cool thing. He, he wants you to know what it is. So he left you this. And let me give you maybe a, 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 an illustration that might help you see what I'm talking about. I, I used to go to Hume Lake all the time. I'd go up there a lot of times during the summer to speak at, for kids' camps and, or whatever, pastors' conferences or whatever. And when you're going up the mountain at Hume, and you'll all relate to this, you know, there's a, going up a mountain and you're going around like this and this, and, and if you get behind a slow poke, you, you're, you're kind of stuck. Because, you know, you want to pass them, but you can't see around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is be about halfway, you know, passing, and here comes a big rig, or here comes some car. And so you're just kind of, oh, man, and you're hoping that they pull into the, you know, I'm slow, you pass me lane, you know. And, and you're just, you're just kind of goofed up because you're limited in your perspective. All you can see is right behind you. Well, imagine if a helicopter came around. And it now has a different perspective, and the guy in the helicopter calls you up and says, okay, here's the deal. I can see around three of those corners here, and here's what I want you to do. When I tell you to go for it, go for it, okay, all right, all right, go! <laughs> and then you speed around the car and you make it. 
because there was somebody who had a different perspective than you had. And here's what happens. We go through life and we're, we're, we're kind of behind the car. And that's the perspective we have. But God's got a way bigger perspective. You see, he, he's the guy in the helicopter, if you will. And he doesn't call you up, but he left this so that you could see why maybe, or you, you have a different viewpoint of things than just sitting behind the slowpoke car, if you will. Here's the deal. If you don't get uh, or understand God's perspective in your life, I'll be able to sum up your life in basically one word, frustration. You'll be frustrated. You end up asking questions like this. Why did this happen to me? See, if you ask that question, you don't know God's perspective. You don't know it. It's important to go maybe talk with a mature Christian brother or sister. Talk to the pastor, an elder, spiritual leader, because they, they, they all have a different perspective than you have. Or if you're, if you're asking, you, why, you know, why is this happening to other people? Whatever that is. If you ask that question, it's simply because you just don't have uh, God's perspective on things. You may have a Bible knowledge, you have content, you've read the Bible, but you haven't gone to the deeper level. You haven't gone to the level where you know why God says what he says or why God does what he does. The goal of knowledge is that you know the word of God. The goal of perspective is that you understand the mind of God. You learn to think like God thinks. You, you learn to see why God does what he does, you see? So if you get knowledge by reading the Bible, how do you gain perspective? How do you get perspective? You gain perspective by studying the Bible. The goal of studying the Bible is to know the mind of God. Now what's the difference between reading and the Bible and studying the Bible? I'm gonna give you two words, okay, here it is. Pencil and paper. <laughs> you see, reading the Bible, you just kinda of go through it, you're gaining some knowledge. Now all of a sudden when you go, I want God's perspective, you got a yellow pad of paper and a pencil in your hand, and you're right, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, wow, 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 I better, oh, wow. And now all of a sudden you're writing some stuff. If you don't ever write anything down, I just want you to know something, you haven't studied. You may think you're, you're studying, but you have. It's one of the reasons why you put pencils and all of the things, little note sheets and the things, so you can begin to kind of write some things down, kind of start to, you know, flesh some, sing, flesh some, some things out. You get knowledge from reading the word, you get perspective from studying the word. Number three, you gain, <clears throat> you get the most out of your Bible when you use it to, to develop convictions. And you can see we're just getting deeper here. We're starting to move deeper. You agree with the values that are laid out in the Bible. Hebrews chapter five says, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and does not know how to do what is right. You see, the infants are just simply folks who read the Bible for content. Maybe they've just began to study it, maybe, but they really haven't came up with any convictions about what is right or what is wrong. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training, training, paper, pencil, studying, 
those uh, training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. You see, it's possible to know what's right and what's wrong. It's possible to know what's good and evil. You may not pick up on that just reading the scriptures. You begin to study the scriptures and then you begin to build convictions based upon that which the Bible talks about. You see, there are some things that are absolutely right and there are some things that are absolutely wrong and you find out what those things are in the scriptures. There are some things that are good and there are some things that are evil and you find those things, you see, in the scriptures. And what the writer is saying here in the book of Hebrews is that the only way to really know what is right or what is wrong or what is good and what is evil is you have to get into the Bible. You gotta dig into it because it's only when you eat the meat of the Bible that you're able to develop godly convictions. You see, convictions are the beliefs that shape your behavior. In other words, a conviction is something you believe in so strongly it literally determines the way you'll act. It determines your behavior. And I'm not talking about opinions. Opinions are, are things we, we can all argue about and all that kind of stuff. Conviction is, is something you, you're saying, I'm, I'm willing to die for that. God has said, this is good, this is evil. God has said, this is right, this is wrong. I've read it, I've studied it, and now I'm beginning to build my life on these biblical convictions, you see? Whenever somebody says to me, you know, I think this is right, or I think this is okay, or, or you know, I think it's all right to do this no matter what anybody else thinks, I always ask them, who says? Where is it that you're getting your convictions from? How did you determine that that was right and that was wrong? You see, here's the deal. I'm okay with those of you that are here who go, you know what, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in God. And that's okay, because everybody in this room at one time believed exactly like you believed. But at least I can tell you, here's why I think this is wrong, and here's why I think this is right, here's why I think this is evil, and here's why I think this is, you know, good. I, I, I can tell you where I've gotten my convictions from. And you need to be able to do the same thing. Some of you have never thought about it. You've never thought about why you think this is right or why you think this is wrong or why you think this is good or why you think this is evil. And you ought to at least wrestle, you know, wrestle around with, with, with that. For some of you, the reason why you think something's good or bad or good you know, or right or wrong is, I don't know, maybe it's based on Oprah. Really, I'm not making fun of anybody in here. I'm just telling you. Maybe it's, it was a college professor. I sat under this professor, and he believed that this was right, and this was wrong, and this was good, and this is evil. And so I based my convictions off of this professor. For some of you, that, that's the truth. It could be your parents. That's a big one. You know, my mom and dad believe this, and so I believe it. It might be your friends. It could be the Supreme Court. You know, the Supreme Court said that this is good and this was evil, and so I just kind of go along with whatever the Supreme Court says. For a lot of people, it's simply the majority, you know, you know what the majority of the people think. Well, the majority of the people think this is right, so I, I think it's right. Everybody ought to be able to answer the question, why do you think that's good? What do you base that on? See, you don't have to believe in this. You don't have to like the fact that I think this is God's word, but at least I can tell you, here's why I believe what I believe. I've read the Bible. 
I've gained some knowledge. I've, I've studied the Bible. I've studied it to gain God's perspective. And then I've gone a, a little farther down and I've said, okay, I'm going to allow these things to be the convictions of my life. And by the way, how, how do you develop these convictions? You develop convictions by meditating on the Bible. The goal of meditation on the Bible is to share the values of God. And for some of you, the word meditation is a, a scary word. Meditation just simply means thinking about something over and over again. And by the way, how many of you out there have ever worried about something? Raise your hand. If you've ever worried about something, everybody that has their hands up understands the, the, the meaning of meditation. You've just meditated on whatever that thing is over and over and over again, and now you're all worried to the degree you gotta go out and buy Tums. You've meditated on something negative all the time. Meditation is just simply taking the Word of God and looking at the Word of God over, and it's a, it's a deeper level than studying the Word. You're meditating on, on the word. The Bible says this in Joshua chapter one, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Spend time meditating on the scriptures, meditating on, on the scriptures so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. You see, it's when you meditate on it all the time is when, that's when you build these convictions in your life that you might be able to actually do what the, what the scriptures say. And number four, and by the way, we're, we're starting to get into the real meat of the whole thing. You get the most out of your Bible when you live it out, okay? A lot of people read the word, have a lot of knowledge, a lot of people break out a pencil and paper and they'll study the word. A lot of people will even you know, lay out convictions about the word of God. But all that really doesn't mean a whole lot unless you get to this one. Because after you've built those convictions and you know what the Bible says and you have these biblical convictions about your life that you actually go, okay, I am now going to live out those convictions. Our, uh, our verse that we had earlier for our Bible quiz was James chapter one. Don't just listen to God's word, just don't read it to gain a knowledge, just don't study it, just don't base your life on some convictions, but actually do it. Live it out. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples everything I've taught you, but teach them to obey it. The goal isn't just that you have knowledge. The goal isn't that you study it. The goal isn't that you build convictions on it. The goal is, is that you get right here, that you actually live out what the scriptures say. Because James says, if you don't, you're only deceiving yourself. That's all you're doing. You think you're doing something really great in your Christian walk by reading it or studying it, or hey, I'm even gonna build my convictions on it. But if you don't live it out, you're just deceiving yourself. You gotta live it out. God wants us to be doers of the word. He wants us to practice what his word says. Listen, every time you walk out of here, after every message, you ought to say to yourself, what am I gonna do as a result of what I just heard? Let me tell you something that I think the enemy has gotten pretty good at in this new modern technology. 
is that this is your church and you've come here and you fellowship here and we sing songs and we give and we do all this stuff and you hear a, a message from, from me here. And uh, maybe by tonight, you know, you've already popped in your iPhone or whatever and you got your buds in and you're already hearing another message from somebody else, your favorite preacher. And then Tuesday, you listen to another message from your favorite preacher. And then Friday, you listen to another message from your favorite preacher. You got a lot of knowledge. You're hearing lots of things. Maybe even studying different things. Well, that was great. Maybe even building some convictions on that. But it's hard when you just hear all this stuff to say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm going to zero in right there. That, that is a biblical conviction that I know I'm to have, and I'm going to live that out. I heard of a pastor one time who preached for 18 weeks solid on the principle of tithing. And finally, the people asked him, when are you going to stop preaching on tithing? And he said, well, when you start doing it. <laughs> Look, here's the deal. There always comes a moment when, and I say this a lot, when the singing's done and the giving's done and communion's done and fellowship is done and the preaching of the word is done. But here's the deal, God ain't done. <laughs> God ain't done. But I think for a lot of people, it's easy to sit in here and just go, well, God's done. And you walk out the door and you don't ever go, okay, hold on, I took some notes while I was here, wrote some things down, wow. What do I do with this, Lord? I think some of the deepest work might begin after you've come to you know, the church and you've fellowshiped and given and sang and had communion or whatever it all is and you hear a word from, from the shepherd that you leave and go, okay, man, Lord, what does this mean for me? What were you, what were you trying to say through, through, through the shepherd? Is there something for me, God, that I need to work on? I know it's easy to go, man, my wife needs to work on that, or my husband needs to work on that, or man, I wish my kids were in here, they need to work on that. And that all may be true. But maybe God has something really neat he wants to say to, to, to you also through all of this. Um, here, here's the deal. Um, I want to take you back to last weekend. And Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, They've heard the word, done a little study, built some convictions, and they, and they put them into practice, actually doing them. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, you know, they read the word, they even study the word, they even build some convictions on the word, but they don't put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew uh, and beat against that house and, and it fell with a great crash. And, 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 and this, is, this is hard. Hard to put the word into practice. Look. It's easy to come in here for an hour and a half and listen to songs and listen to truth. That's easy. It was easy to sit on a, on a Galilean you know, country 
side mountain and, and hear Jesus teach. That, that was easy. It's easy. The hard thing is, is to hear truth and then get up and go, okay, I'm gonna live this out now. That's the hard part. Yeah, reading this is easy. Uh, studying it's pr pretty easy. Going, hey man, the Bible is clear here. Here's a conviction I'm supposed to have. <laughs> the hard part is to go, okay, Lord, I've seen clearly in your word how I'm supposed to live. And here I go today, God. Give me the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit to actually live this out in my life. That's hard at times, and I, and, I, and I get it. And number five, let me tell you, number five is, is kind of the goal. You get the most out of your Bible when you use it now to build your character. You see, once, doing number one, just reading the Bible doesn't change your character. Studying the Bible doesn't change your character. Going, hey, here, here are the biblical convictions I'm gonna live by, doesn't change your character. It's when you live it out that your character begins to change. Colossians chapter three says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You do not become like your creator when you read the word. You do not become like your creator because you study the word. You don't become like your creator if you just build convictions on the word. You become like him when you actually Live like him. That's what changes your character. That's what a transformed life is, is when you begin to live out what the scripture says. First you learn the content, then you gain perspective, then you start developing convictions, then you go out and do something about it, you, you live it. And when you actually go out and live it, that's when a person begins to change. That's when your character is impacted. D.L. Moody said, you know, the Bible wasn't written to increase your knowledge, it was written to change your life. Now it does answer a lot of questions. Answers the most questions to be straight up with you. But God didn't write it just so you'd read it and go, oh, okay, I got an answer to that. He wants this thing to change your life. That's what he wants. And just reading it doesn't change your life. Just studying it, it doesn't change your life. Building convictions on it doesn't change your life. It's when you live out those convictions, that's when your life begins to, to change. Romans chapter eight says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to what? Become like his son. That's what God wants is that we would live like his son. And reading the word doesn't make you like his son. A lot of people can read the word and they live like the devil. A lot of people can study the word of God but that doesn't make them like, like Jesus. Hey, going out, I think this is right. You know, lying, I, I get it. It's a conviction I need to live by. Well, still lie. Yeah, I know it's a conviction I, I shouldn't get drunk, but they still get drunk. You become like Jesus when you begin to live like Jesus. When you actually take those convictions and then make them a part of your life, you see? We all have to begin at just knowing content. And there are times I still read it just to know content. And we need to study the word. I study the word all the time. 
And we need to go, wow, man, look at that. There's something that, that God is crystal clear on how I need to live my life. And those are all good things, and we're always doing that. But then it's the next step that you live it out. That's, that's the important step. But it's hard to live out something that you don't know anything about and you haven't studied and you haven't built a conviction on. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe everything that you see on TV? Okay. How many of you believe everything you read in the Modesto Bee or the New York Times or whatever? Yeah, yeah, one of you, okay. How many of you believe everything you hear on the radio? How many of you believe everything you read on the internet? Yeah. How many of you believe everything that's in God's word? So let me ask you a question. If that's true, if you really believe that, which of those do you spend the most time in? Now here's the deal, that's kind of a gotcha question. I was in my office this week and I was kind of writing this stuff out and I asked myself that question. I went, ooh, dude, it was so convicting. I thought, man, I don't want to be the only loser, so I, I did it on you. So I, 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 I had my own gotcha moment and I was alone, that's weird. I just, I just did my own gotcha moment and, and so, but isn't that strange? What, what if? What if you just took one 30-minute sitcom, one of your favorite sitcoms, 30 minutes, you can even TiVo it now, and said, okay, for this 30 minutes, just 30, I'm not gonna watch the TV, but I'm gonna sit down, and for some of you, just you're at that basic level. You just, I'm reading the Bible just for content. I wanna know who the story, who the characters are, the stories. For some of you, you go, I'm gonna take that 30 minutes and, and I'm gonna actually spend some time studying some passage, get my pencil and you know, paper out. For others of you, you might say, okay, I'm gonna, I, I, you know what, here's the deal, I'm gonna build a conviction on this. I, here are two things that I know the Bible clearly teaches that, that I, I just gotta start living out. And then you wake up in the morning or whatever it is and go, okay, I'm gonna live out that conviction. But if it just took 30 minutes, just 30 probably make a, a huge difference in your life. Just 30 minutes. Now let me get super practical as I wrap this up, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a couple things that I just want you maybe to make a commitment to. Okay, in 48 days, we're gonna have Easter. Crazy. I think I was just opening presents yesterday you know, for Christmas. 48 days, Easter's gonna be here. I just wanna challenge all of you to do something. I want to challenge you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John within the next 48 days. Read through the gospel, the gospels. For some of you, you might be able to get through it twice. Maybe some of you get through it three times. For others, it might be a struggle, and in 48 days, you may only get through Mark, and that's okay, but give it a shot. Just read through the gospels. And every time you sit down to read through the Gospels, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for uh, somebody uh, you work with who doesn't know the Lord that you might invite to our Easter gatherings in 48 days. Maybe the guy that mows your lawn, cuts your hair, does your toes, delivers your mail, picks up your garbage, the person you play golf with or tennis with, the person who's in your sewing club, somebody in a cubicle next to you, 
I want you to start praying for them. You always talk to God about your friends before you talk to your friends about God. It always begins with prayer. So every time you sit down to read through the Gospels, I want you to think about, God, and who's somebody I could bring to Easter? 48 days, will be here just like that. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to commit to, to being at church. I want you to renew a commitment that uh, a time when the family comes together, the hour and a half, Saturday night, Sunday morning, that you would be committed to that. You see, I think not only do things come in and trump our time with the, with, in the word, but things can trump our time with God. And I, I think God's worth an hour and a half of your life. And even if you go on a vacation, you know, there's usually a church everywhere. You could go to church and fellowship with other believers. And if something comes up on a Sunday, we have a Saturday you can come to. If you're, if you're a Sunday, you know, uh, morning person, you like the 11 o'clock hour, something may come up, come to the nine o'clock hour. I challenge those that like Saturday night last night, if something comes up on a Saturday night, come to church on Sunday morning that we would all renew our commitment to go, hey, look, God's worthy of my time to come together as a family and worship the Lord together. And, and so you got those three challenges. You read through the gospel, 48 days or multiple times. I want you praying for somebody that you like or hope and would come to our, our Easter, one of our Easter gatherings, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. And number three, that you would go, man, has something come between me and Saturday nights or Sunday mornings? Am I really committed to coming to a place that has such a high view of, of the scriptures? I need to be here in this place. Over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody else uh, in here stand, and let me close our time in prayer, okay? I thought about giving you a moment of silence where you could pray for your favorite football team. Um, <laughs> but I decided against it. Father, Lord, thank you for this weekend. I have certainly enjoyed this, Lord. Enjoyed being here last night and watching you through the Holy Spirit work in people's lives. Thank you, God, for this morning, the nine o'clock hour. God, I, I just really enjoy that time. Certainly enjoy 11 o'clock. Thank you for the venue and, and the baptism over there. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave here, and I'll, I'll bet a lot of us will go to some Super Bowl you know, party or whatever, God, may somehow, some way, we bring honor and glory to your name wherever we're at, Lord. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said. Amen. Hey, live for Jesus.